Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, good, everyone, and welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm glad you could join me as we're going to be speaking with Paul Swetnam. And we have a great conversation about his life growing up in Island Homesteads, which was made famous by the film Heavenly Creatures, his adventures over in Europe and the Himalayas, and what he does today, and what some of the key attributes are which are common across people he's recruiting. If you enjoy this, and check out some of the more than 240 other episodes in the back catalog. And there's more info at theseeds.nz. And if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, it takes about five seconds to leave a review, which would be appreciated. Now let's get into this conversation with Paul. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Paul Swetnam, who's the founder of Sunstone Talent. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much, Stephen. Really great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited about this because even before we started recording, we were having conversations, and I can tell there's going to be a lot of things to talk about. Um, But before we talk about what you're doing today, and I'm really curious about things that you, I guess, notice as someone involved in recruitment, you know, and looking at people. I think that's a really interesting area. But before we talk about that, I always try to go back in time with people and just find a bit about where they're from. So in your case, could you set the scene for us? And even when you were, say, four or five years old, what was life like for you? Where were you living? And um, yeah, yeah, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, I grew up in Islam. And uh, yeah, I was really lucky. I I grew up in this kind of magical uh, place. It was the Islam Homestead, which is just across the road from Canterbury University. And my parents were caterers there at the university staff club. And uh, they kind of ran uh, lunches in the bar and... uh, and a lot of functions and weddings. So we lived on the side and uh, we just had this amazing uh, garden and um, I did a lot of, you know, climbing trees and making underground huts and, uh, you know, canoeing on the river. And yeah, it was a really loving childhood. And and I think as part of that, I, I interacted with, you know, just a whole bunch of different people from professors to kind of students working in the bar or helping out at weddings. And so, so probably around that four or five years old, um, you know, I started going to school, and that was just down the road at Islam, hmm. Islam Primary School, and um, there there was a whole bunch of different nationalities, and just people from you know kids from all around the world, and uh, you know I had a Japanese friend Masaru, and um, you know Alistair from you know South Africa, and and I think that you know just reflecting before coming here, I think um, I just you know I met a lot of different people and. It seemed to kind of be a theme, you know, kind of right through my life. Just really interested in, in lots of different people. Right. So relationships yeah. and, and other people and finding out yeah. about them and things. Do you think that would be traced back to the school and, and that environment? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, even just at the homestead, um, you know, we had uh, visitors coming. Uh, we had, um, you know, Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil. And, you know, he was over from... Uh, Australia, you know, doing some environmental stuff at the university. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met the Prime Minister, you know, kind of Rob Muldoon back in the day, and mm-hmm. just a lot of different people. And I think that kind of set the seed, you know, of, of really being interested in people. And of course, you know, as I kind of grew up, I, I worked at the weddings. And so, you know, serving people drinks and, and kind of just got really comfortable with that. And, and, really fascinated about heaps of different people and their backgrounds hmm. and it was a lot of fun so it sounds like yeah. your parents were there for quite a long time then they were they were there for about 28 years wow. and um 
since we were about since I was about two years old, mm-hmm. and so right through my my whole life really. And then um, you know even I kind of went to uni, um, did my psychology degree at mm-hmm. Canterbury. And that was, again, you know, I, I kind of started out doing a double degree in law and psychology. And, mm-hmm. and you know, law was, I found it hard. It just wasn't quite my passion. You know, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. But I just had this, again, this affiliation with people. And I think, um, and I think that, uh, you know, really um, kind of um, kept, you know, kind of furthered the interest. I, I remember doing a, an industrial organizational paper and, um, you know, we talked about uh, the four-day working week. And, of course, this was kind of over 20 years ago. Mm. And there's something really interesting about that. Um, you know, I kind of thought, wow, that'd be awesome to help organizations, you know, get the most out of their people. And, and maybe this would lead, uh, you know, into into something else. Mm. But, yeah, and a really nice childhood, just um, really loving and, you know, lots of friends. And uh, did a lot of team sports as well. Um, just mad on soccer and mm. cricket, and um, and I think that kind of, you know, the ups and the downs um, with some of that um, got me to kind of learn about you know achievement and, and kind of goal setting and those kind of things. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting as well because there's a little intersection with my life which you would have had no way to know, but my sister went to Island School. Oh right, yeah, cool. So when we first arrived in New Zealand, so this ah. was 1989. Yeah. Till uh, she would have been there till 1991 or something, sort of in that. At the time, I think it was like standard three, standard four, oh, you know, right, yeah. that sort of time. But I remember, um, yeah, we used to drop her off there. Yeah, and <laughs> that was where she went. It so was it, it was quite an international school, I guess, because the yes. university was right there, right? That must That's be why, because right. all the yeah. staff and other students and things, all their kids must have gone there. Yeah, that's it. And so we had. You know, people who had, um, you know, were on secondment. Mm-hmm. You know, their their parents were were over from different countries, and you know, they'd often turn up at island school. So it was really, it was just a lovely kind of mixed kind of fabric of lots of different kids, and and um, you know, and it would have been relatively that. unusual at that era because now these days it's a much more multicultural yes. place. But if we're thinking sort of seventies, eighties, you know even 90s it it wasn't the same way it is today and i yeah. but i think island has always had that sort of international flavor to it it really did and um it, it was really interesting you know just the different cultures and um you know some really smart kids there but it was a real mix as well because we had kind of it took in you know different areas as well mm-hmm. and um yeah i had really fond memories and still got some really good friends from those times yeah that's awesome yeah. and the homestead that you're talking about um yeah. I, i've been there <laughs> i've oh, been to great. functions there awesome. but can you just describe it a little bit for people because um, yeah, yeah just um, paint the picture what are we talking about well it's like this massive old mansion house where you know originally the rector of the university you know that was their house and um you know, it's set in these kind of beautiful big gardens, and it's owned by the university. And I think when we were there, that you know, there might have been five or six gardeners, um, you wow. know, to kind of look after it. And very early, um, it was a, a kind of a dedicated space with beautiful kind of rhododendrons and azaleas, and, and really quite famous for the, just the beautiful flowers and so forth. And so it was a bit, it was quite magical. And um, we just kind of had this massive place to play. And I just have friends over and we just mm. kind of run wild. Mm. <laughs> it was kind of, 
Yeah, it was, it was I really have a special. Feeling, I think it's the type of place that at the time you probably just thought, well, this is sort of normal. Yeah. But looking back, you realize, you know, to have five gardeners <laughs> yeah. out there tending the, um, the, you know, Christchurch, the Garden City, one of the premier beautiful yeah. spots. Yeah, yeah it quite, was. And it was interesting because you know, the history of the place, uh, you know, you know, they made a movie, Heavenly Creatures, which was Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. and it was a real story. Um, you know, the the daughter of the, the rector of the university, played by Kate Winslet, um, actually got a brick and took, you know, the mother of her very good friend because they were kind of having this, um, you know, lesbian relationship, mm-hmm. and they got the brick from behind our garage and went up the Port Hills and killed her, and true story. Hmm. And so that was really interesting when they filmed um, the movie. Uh, I must have been about 15, and it was just crazy. I'd never seen, you know, kind of about 300 people just kind of overtook, hmm. um, you know, kind of my house. And um, But it was funny, you know, our, our beautiful big white cat, uh, Naiko, which is a Japanese for cat, you know, was kind of, you know, jumping into some of the, the, the scenes and um, yeah. I had some friends over and we'd, we'd kind of hide in the bushes and watch the, the filming. And so it was really fascinating. My mum got quite involved and, you know, we met, you know, um, Peter Jackson. and But it was, yeah, a really interesting history. And um, again, you know, another theme, that theme in my life, just lots of different people yeah. uh, around. Yeah. It, was, it was very cool. That's amazing. And do you remember, you know, as a child knowing that there was, you know, a prime minister or knowing that there was a famous person who was coming and kind of looking around like, where are they? Or Yeah, you know. it, it was interesting. I think, uh, yeah, I think my parents kind of, you know, found out and, and uh, you know, I kind of got introduced. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was quite neat. Um, but we, we just have fascinating people, um, you know, visiting, you know, the uni staff club. And I think there was a a theme there as well where you know technology and it really opened my eyes to a lot of people doing kind of amazing things and right. when I was you know working at the bar and um, and doing these kind of functions um, you know there'd be functions we'd run parties my parents would run parties for Deloitte or you know in New Zealand mm. as well as um, you know meeting some of the professors across the bar and you know they were working on some pretty pretty amazing stuff so I think my mind was kind of opened up to Mm-hmm. all sorts of kind of possibilities um, very early on, yeah. which was neat. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And so did you know, coming through, we're sort of in high school years now, yeah. um, did you know what you wanted to do next? Or yeah. like, it sounds like you didn't stray very far away from home. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> the university was right there. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I didn't really, I was more kind of in the arts subjects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really just wanted to, you know, become a professional skier, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, um, so was that a big part of your life as well? Yeah, like, skiing was a yeah. big thing, and I love love the outdoors, and I still do. That's really my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, skiing up at Craigieburn, and and I've skied all around the world, and it's just it's a lot of fun. Um, but you know, through school, I, I kind of I really I enjoyed some of the subjects, and it was just I think it's hard for a lot of people to really work out what exactly they want to do. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, typically I kind of, I, I didn't know I wanted to go to university. I wanted to, to do stuff. And, you know, around me I could see influences, um, you know, family friends who were running their own businesses and my parents were running their own business. And and so I kind of knew, I think that's where the kind of seed started that maybe I wanted to start my own company, but I didn't quite know what it was going to be. Mm. And then I think into the university years, 
um, trying to find my way of what I really enjoyed. And, um, and I remember failing a couple of law papers mm-hmm. and, and doing them again. You know, you'll remember Law of Torts, and that's, yep. a, that's a beast. <laughs> that's a big paper. Yep. That's a lot of cases. And, and I was proud that I actually you know, redid it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of was thinking, as I was doing psychology, I, I was really enjoying it. Mm. But I, I couldn't quite see what the career path was. I wasn't quite wanting to go down the abnormal side, but that industrial organizational paper was was quite neat because suddenly I could see a lot of businesses and in, in the more commercial side and maybe I could help businesses and and go from there. So that started to spark a bit of an interest. Mm. Yeah. And how does that then take uh, action? Like can you specialize then were you able to specialize in your degree in industrial psychology or yeah, what, what happened? You kind of can. I was, I was kind of thinking about doing my master's and, you know, often people go on to, to doing consulting, recruiting mm-hmm. and in different areas, management consulting. And um, I was starting to think about recruiting. Um, and when I finished up my degree, um, you know, it was, it was tough. I was like kind of approached a few recruitment companies and of course they wanted experience mm-hmm. and then I got a job um it went on you know I, I applied for probably about 30 jobs and uh and so I can always um you know appreciate when I'm interviewing graduates on the other side how um how tough it can be you're, mm. you're competing with other people who've returned from London with experience and it's hard to get that first job and and I actually got a, a kind of a sales marketing job with GL Barron who were um, a sheepskin kind of international sheepskin exporter and and they were going to do a project um, to basically sell sheepskin over in the UK and it was really neat because it turned out that we were kind of trying to work out how to sell these sheepskin underlays and it was a, a, a bit of a challenge because these were beautiful kind of sheepskin underlays that go on your bed and in a retail store they're quite hard to um, to sell really because it was really about the touch and the feel and they'd last about 20 years or something so mm. you know the marketing director and and our small team were trying to work out how can we sell these best and we kind of worked out in this model um that we'd you know kind of get people interested in displays so um shopping malls and those kind of things so we did did a few trials we went down to to kind of Timaru and but we worked out a model and we set up a display in Rickerton Mall and we thought right can we take this to the southwest in Bristol and they had a, an office over there and yeah so we ended up going to Bristol and I yeah it was my first job I couldn't quite believe it got kind of all expenses over there and set us up with a flat and um yeah it was it was a really good experience and I, I think that was getting you know I guess you know rejected from or trying to get into the recruitment industry I needed you know some business or sales experience or marketing mm-hmm. And so that was kind of that start that I that I got, and it was a really interesting experience. We probably needed to have maybe marketed it, you know, towards maybe Scandinavia. They were probably a bit more interested in health products, um, but we sold a few, and it probably just wasn't quite the right market. But anyways, I, I got you know some experience, and as my dad's actually um, from England, I had a British passport, hmm. so um, I ended up having an opportunity, a recruiter you know, that I got in touch with. Um, was talking about IT recruiting and I said hey well, I don't really have any IT background and he was like no they'll give you full training and I actually remember that point in time where I thought about the technology industry and I thought to myself technology can't stop 
that would be a great industry to get into. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I took the jump and and you know got into my first recruiting job and um, had a lot to learn, but it was fascinating. So what yeah. year are we talking about here? I'm just curious in yeah. terms of technology because it's changed yeah. so much. Well, even even 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if you go back, it's completely different to, to today. So yeah. yeah, what era are we are we talking about? Yeah, that was my first um, recruiting job was 2000 mm-hmm. in Bristol. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just at the uh, end of Y2K. So you know, everyone yeah. thought that the world was going to stop, mm-hmm. but really it was you know just your video player, yeah. and um, that was interesting. It was the start of of web as well, so mm. there was a lot of web development going on, and and it was a really exciting time. And um, you know, you remember those flash kind of you know intros and stuff, and uh, it was uh, it was really taking off. And we I worked with a really great bunch of people, and uh, who I'm still friends with today, and. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. And mm. It was a lot of fun being in the UK and and um, you know yeah. being able to ski in Europe. It's and, a great place yeah. to be able to base yourself from, isn't yeah. it? To be able to travel and say, well, let's go to Oslo or let's go to yeah. Paris or let's go to Barcelona. Yeah, oh, that was great. It, that is a contrast to New Zealand, where it's a, yeah. it's a bit a bit further. The thing that strikes me about what you're saying, though, I really just want to pull out this point is that you know when you first came out and you applied for the recruiting type Mm. of jobs and you were not successful because I think those are important things to note because think I'm you know that you then later on have gotten back into that industry but with that background and that experience I can imagine that that then gives you an empathy and an understanding of what it's like you know absolutely on the other side as the candidate rather than the recruiter yeah it's just interesting to me to trace people's journeys and you know yes. what is it that's shaped them into what they do today it is and it's you know it's life's a bit like that you know it's i think it's the failures and the mm. the hard stuff that really shapes you mm-hmm. and I, I think um you know through sport and through some of those you know interesting times and in, in outdoor adventures where sometimes you know you just the weather comes in and you can't make that that peak or you know there's always another time mm. you know you've got to look at the the kind of the short term the medium and the long term and sometimes you've just got to walk away and mm. it's it's going to still be there it's another day or there's going to be another job mm. another opportunity it wasn't wasn't right this time but maybe it is next time so yeah you just got to keep going yeah, yeah that's right yeah exactly so what happened next you're in europe and we're here in new zealand <laughs> just yeah. describe some of the journeys that you've been on because i think you had a, a number of kind of other experiences as well right With, yeah in terms of outdoors adventures i did yeah I had, a, I had a lot of fun skiing in the alps over the air and and did a few trips to canada and the states and mm-hmm. and so forth but um probably towards the end I, I was over in the uk for about nine years and um i was lucky enough to work for some really cool companies some different companies and i got seconded um from bristol to edinburgh and um, i started up a an it division there recruiting mm-hmm. And that was a really good experience. So I, t- I chose some hard jobs to do. By that time, I really um, wanted to get some some you know hard business development experience because I thought one day I will maybe you know start my own company. Mm-hmm. And why not you know kind of try that? But as that went on, I got some really cool jobs. And um, um, but towards the end there, you know, I was starting to think about you know the Himalayas and going to some of the really big peaks. And um, 
I did a did a trip over there to a really cool place called Gulmarg, and that's um, you fly into a place called Srinagar, and it's in Kashmir in the north of India. It's right on the border of Pakistan, and um, it was just incredible. It was this gondola that goes up to about four thousand four thousand meters. And you can ski just endless bowls. I mean, the, there's about 11 or 12 bowls that stretch, and each of them would be the size of Mount Hutt, mm. for example, and a lot higher. And um, it was just a paradise. It was big terrain, though, and, you know, big snowfalls. And I remember once we had a, oh, it must have snowed about 2 metres 30 over about, you know, nearly 2.5 metres over 11 days. And... Um, yeah, it started to kind of make me think, you know, maybe I wanted to do some guiding. And, um, you know, I, I loved recruiting, um, but we'd been through, you know, that was the, the, the GFC then. And I thought, hey, maybe I want to, you know, live my dream a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I started up this little guiding company called Sunstone Adventures. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a bit of, um, I went to Nepal as well and did some hiking. And I met a guy there who was a really great guide and and was wanting clients so I kind of you know pitched Sunstone Adventures as doing hiking and skiing not really thinking that the the Kashmir side would would really take over um it was quite hard because there was well there wasn't many people doing it um but it solved a problem in the sense that it was really scary kind of flying into this kind of airport that felt like a military airport and um but you know, once you knew how to get to the mountain, it was quite simple. And once you're at the mountain, it was um, really quite relaxed. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I never really had too many issues. Um, there's a few things. But um, when I thought, wow, it'd be really nice, I could kind of offer that service, you know, and pick someone at the airport, just reassure mm-hmm. them, get them to their hotel. And and so what happened was that the, the Nepalese guiding stuff, um, you know, for Everest or um, Annapurna, you know, they've been doing that since the 70s. So that was a really saturated market but the guiding side in, in Gulmarg really took off and mm. I, I had about 13 clients on my first trip and then um, decided to kind of keep going and at that time I flew I came back to Christchurch and I was doing some work for a, a startup in IT recruiting and um, it had some flexibility mm-hmm. so I'd kind of work you know for eight or nine months and then you know head over for three or four months mm. so I had a, a pretty flexible situation which was really cool mm. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. It was amazing. And what do you love most about being outdoors like that in, well, I haven't been to where you were, but, yeah. you know, it must be just the spectacular beauty that surrounds you, right? Yeah. Like, but what is it that really resonates with you that, that keeps you coming back to those places? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's that kind of feeling of um, tranquility and, um, you know, the the challenge of, of, you know, skiing off something really big and, um and, you know, there's part of that as well, getting fit for it, training for it, and and um, having those kind of goals. And, and it's amazing when everything clicks together. You know, your kind of your your fitness, you know, the weather, everything kind of comes together. And it doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's special. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it might be, you know, that one in, one in five that, that really, you know, mm-hmm. is the day. And I think you're always kind of searching for that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the ultimate day. It's always about that kind of keeps you coming back yeah that special moment uh, yeah. I, before we started recording i told you i'd skied quite a lot in japan yeah and there's something magical about getting to the top of the mountain and realizing that you are the first one to go down that day absolutely <laughs> and it's like there's oh. fresh 
you know fresh snow and 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 you're blazing your trail down through it's yeah it's very difficult to recreate that it is it's the ultimate it's just a a great feeling isn't it floating and um you know the kind of texture of snow and and sunshine and the colors and yeah yeah, it's something magical i'm I'm curious as well because your current company has also got sunstone in it what was the significance of that name and how did you yeah i think i came up with it actually really early on my my last name sweatnam is um you know even um is hard to spell you know and Mm -hmm. i just wanted something that was really really simple um the sun and stone it's kind of and it's also you know it's got a, a kind of an old um kind of message that you know the norse used to use the sunstone to kind of find their path and their way and um yeah i wanted to keep it because it was just such an easy name to remember mm. and it had a little bit of meaning and um yeah it's just kind of stuck yeah that's cool so talk us through what you're doing today and yeah. um yeah what what brought you back to christchurch as a on a permanent sort of basis yeah well i've always loved christchurch and and the city just always just um, blows my mind that the amazing people here and some of the businesses and you know we really specialize in in kind of the software development side with um, product development mm-hmm. and um, just helping some of those businesses you know, I kind of saw a gap in the market where, you know, just a bit different than traditional recruiters. You know, we like to really partner with, you know, that kind of founder or, or business owner and understand, you know, their technical stack. You know, I, I like to, to really understand that and then their kind of their vision and their culture and, and just be that kind of partner. And that's, that's a real buzz when you can help someone like that really start to achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, I, I was really lucky that, you know, I kind of got into recruiting and I just, very early on, I just loved finding people jobs. You know, I kind of, it's this feeling, again, it's like being on the top of the mountain, um, offering someone a job, whether they're a graduate or a, or a mm-hmm. you know, senior developer or or what, whoever. It's mm. just a great feeling. And So making that them. call and saying, hey, guess what? They, yeah. they want you. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's a really good feeling. And there's a lot of work that goes in the background, you know, um, I talk to people sometimes years before they mm. want to make the move to New Zealand mm. and um, well, the time is right. And um, yeah, so the, those both sides, when it kind of comes together, it's it's great to kind of help help both people. Yeah, mm. it's really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And are you recruiting quite a lot overseas then for people coming to New Zealand or is it mainly the internal sort of domestic market or a bit yeah, of both? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting with COVID, you know, Previously, you know, we brought a lot of people from overseas, and um, and that'll start to happen again when the borders kind of open. Mm-hmm. Um, but since COVID, obviously more kind of internal movement and Kiwis returning uh, from overseas. So I, I tend to you know interview quite a few people in MIQ, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. And um, but we've got you know Christchurch is really really interesting at the moment. We've got. You know, a lot of people coming down from Auckland uh, because of the housing market. But that started about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then about two years ago, the Wellington house prices started to get similar to Auckland. So, yeah, a lot of internal movement, a lot of returning Kiwis. Mm-hmm. And then it's some some people, you know, changing jobs locally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really nice if you can help someone who doesn't understand the market here and you can give them advice and, yeah, yeah help them with their, their kind of journey. And then, you know, you see their career grow. Yeah. yeah, it's neat. That's cool. And just thinking back to your studies at university yeah. in psychology and things, um, how has that played through in the recruitment space? And and I'm just thinking in particular about 
candidates or people yeah. that you're meeting and things. How? Yeah, I'm just curious what you're looking for and seeing who who makes a good candidate and how do you assess that? Thinking yeah. with your psychology sort of yeah. hat on. Um, yeah, what's the process that you, you go through? It's pretty natural, um, to be honest. You know, like everyone's a bit different. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and our, well, our jobs are a little bit different. So there's always a match for someone. Um, but I think what I really enjoy is really kind of, you know, meeting that person. You know, now it's either, you know, at a cafe or online. Mm-hmm and um, a lot more work from home <clears throat> and really just kind of understanding you know what it what are their kind of things are and, and as we have a bit of a chat it's just like talking to you right it's just getting to know someone and mm. really kind of finding out what their needs are and you know everyone's a little bit different I'd say so you know some people have different needs um, yeah I'm, I'm just always very open mm. to, to kind of work with them and you know what they're trying to achieve so there's nothing in particular I look out for it's just what I am is just open to to what they tell me and what I pick up on, mm-hmm. and, and and is you know it's a nice way to to have a bit of one on one time for half an hour, an hour, and um, we can normally kind of work work out and mm. what that. And means. at the end of that, let's say forty five minutes or whatever, yeah. In your mind, can you already start imagining which of the companies they would naturally slot into? Yeah, that's in right. terms of culture and fit, because I imagine, yeah. How, how does that work? Yeah, and, and there's kind of two things to that. You know, it's kind of there's that cultural fit, but there's also that cultural add. And I think sometimes that we need to know that we, we don't want to have, you know, five people just like us. You know, what can we bring in, in diversity and, you know, to kind of make the team different because different industries and different backgrounds and different cultures can really, you know, be a really nice mix in a team and can really start to kind of, you know, I think get better results and better outcomes because you're representing, especially with technology, you know, we really have to think ethically about the software products and how, you know, they're, they're really delivered to all users. Mm-hmm. And that's going to become, it's becoming so apparent now, the more that it's been advanced and the more, we're how reliant we are on, you know, technology every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, getting that cultural ad is and, and a, a bit of difference is is really nice. And yeah, yeah, it should be no, encouraged. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Last year, I wrote a paper about um, board diversity, oh, awesome. and it was called the role of creatives, basically, and saying how often do you look at a you know typical company or something, and you look at the board of directors and quite often there's an accountant and a lawyer and a, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like stereotypical, uh, oftentimes white sort of middle, you know, it, and you just think, man, if, what if you brought in a painter, a poet, yes. you know, a singer, or just to vary up the way that they think and make decisions. And so I hear what you're saying, like to have that diversity and have somebody who thinks a little bit differently and maybe pushes the rest of the team to to be open to conversations, right? I think so. I think that's the thing. It's the challenge of, you know, um, really trying to think about, you know, different ways of doing things and and kind of being a bit more representative, Mm. you know, to society um, because that's kind of what you're doing. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a great way to to look at things. Yeah. And do you think um, going forward, I'm just curious, this is trying to predict the future. Yeah. But we've had, we're (laughs) we're kind of in the middle of a pandemic as we're talking. Like, um, do you think that's going to change the way that people from overseas look at New Zealand as a viable option to come to? Because 
I'm meeting a lot of people because I do a lot of work in this sort of similar area. Yeah. And quite a few people are kind of realizing I've been working from home. I could have been working from home, but my home could be in Queenstown <laughs> or yes. Christchurch rather than in this big city in Europe. Um, I just think it will be interesting to see if there's an influx of people who want, who are yeah. great IT minds and could do the work based here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just, I get emails every day really from mm. people wanting to, to come over and just giving them advice about, you know, how the market is at the moment. And, and it is, it's, it's difficult to get here. Um, but it's been an amazing response that the way we've dealt with, um, you know, the pandemic, I just feel so grateful, you know, for being in New Zealand and, and in technology. And, um, yeah, we can really, you know, hold our heads high by the way we've dealt with it. And, and it's really put us on the map yeah. as, as far as dealing with that. And I think what it's highlighted is we just have a lot of trust in, in, in whatever government, you know, is, is in power or whatever, you know, we're generally really trusting of, of you know, Kiwis of the way we do things. And, um and that's been, you know, the feedback I've been getting from a lot of people. Um, and it's a bit like some of the immigration stuff. You know, it's like, oh, you know, the process, it's outlined, you know, on the website. These are the steps. And, oh, it was, it was quite simple. Just And, it, and you're like, yeah, mm. it's, it's kind of the way Why we do it. Why wouldn't you do it that way? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's, I think like, the Kiwi culture is, is, can be quite simple sometimes. And everyone's situation is a bit different. But, yeah, I think it's, um, it's highlighted how, how lucky we are in New Zealand. And, mm. um yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how this, this year um, plays out in the next couple of years. And of course, I think we'll advance on how we manage COVID and, and how we, mm -hmm. maybe with passports or some of those things. Um, but yeah, my heart goes out to, to people you know around mm -hmm. the world and a lot of our friends in the UK and the US and it's just like, wow, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah. And having met so many people who are looking for jobs yeah. and, you know, candidates you've seen a huge range of people. <laughs> what would be some of the typical advice that you would give someone? Because I'm just trying to think of some mm. of the listeners may be thinking that they want to switch jobs or careers and things. As someone involved in that industry, yeah. what sort of advice would you typically give to people to say, you know, you could really improve in this way, you know, elevate the way that you're presenting? Um, oh, is there anything right. oh, that... To, to transition into tech, do you mean? Or? Yeah, or or just um, what do the best candidates generally have in common that, oh, that yes. really appeals to the employers? <laughs> yeah, I think um, something that stands out is, is you know, getting involved in some of the networking events. You know, I, I really love our IT community here in Christchurch and, you know, some of the meetups and Canterbury Tech's just a fantastic organisation. And, um, you know, I think when I interview someone and, um, you know, I, sometimes I've met them already because they were at one of those events or um, just getting known in the industry, really, you know, having that thirst for what's happening in the industry, new information, new ways of doing things. So I think networking is a really great way to, to kind of further your career for so many reasons. You know, it can, you can make these great connections. Um, you know, you, you can go along and suddenly be talking to a, a CEO or, or a founder or, or mm. someone or, or maybe a graduate who's got some new ideas or has been doing a PhD, you know, thesis on something really interesting and, um, you know, you're learning what's happening in the market. So I think candidates are always, you know, good candidates are always kind of involved in their industry, mm. you know, by doing a bit of networking. Um, probably other things as well is if, if they're interested, and especially in technology, I see where, 
you know, maybe they want someone wants to to become a developer, and maybe they've been in a a different area, or they want to become a a product owner, or um, and you know they've made that step, they've got involved with a, a certification, and you know, and these days it's there's no excuses really anymore. It's like you know, so many you know rich resources online that they can tap into, or um, but they can start going to a networking event, um, they can do a side project, and I'd always just encourage you know to to kind of maybe especially, you know, um, devs or someone wanting to get into a, a technical area, you know, do a project, um, you know, maybe start writing some lines of code within that new language. And it doesn't have to be weeks and weeks, but, you know, spend four or five hours. And um, because it's all open source, there's all, mm. you know, it's all very easy to, to kind of reach on the internet. Um, mm. So you're kind of the, you know, you're, the world's your oyster if you want to do something. So I think those motivated candidates really stand out because, there's those things that you can do um, or you can do nothing mm. <laughs> and that stands out too. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I was just actually having lunch with someone who's a lawyer because that's my area and I was kind of talking about careers and things yeah. and it echoes what you're talking about and the word I was using with him was kind of being proactive. Proactive, you know, just yes. proactively go to events, proactively get out and meet people, proactively take initiative for your own career. Yeah. And the advice that I was giving to him was, imagine, you know, it's 10 years from now, it's 15, 20 years from now, like long-term picture, where do you want to be? What's your ideal job? And then work back from there and realize, okay, if I want to be this at that point, then there's some logical steps that I should be taking now, that proactive approach yeah. to get there. Absolutely. And exactly that. You can kind of look at those goals and really start to set some of these goals. And, you know, if you are you know, want to get into to being a you know software architect or or maybe you want to go down the management route and, and be a development manager, you know, what are those people what do they do? What do they need to do? Um, what are they reading? I think a lot of um, you know, good people as well, you know, read a lot of books. And um, I love reading lots of books. And it's kind of, you know, you can read, you know, two or three books in your subject area. And wow, you know, suddenly you've, you've got a real insight mm. into to that area. And, you know, start to, you know, if you, you want to go that management route, start reading some of those, you know, human relation books, and, um, you know, really trying to understand what it is that makes up that kind of profile. Um, and just start to kind of edge yourself towards that and mm -hmm. um, have a few goals. And, and it doesn't have to be too crazy, but I think, yeah, start going to a few of the meetups and mm -hmm. um, getting amongst it. Yeah, well, that's really good. Well, you mentioned books. Is there any that stand out that you would recommend? Um, yeah. You know, it, particularly thinking about people listening who, yeah, won't have read the same books as as you have, yeah, for sure. are there any that have really made an impression or a big difference in your life? Oh, I think so. I mean, I've, recently I've been reading some of the Brene Brown books, mm -hmm. and they're fantastic you know, about yeah. vulnerability. And I think um, you see a lot of that in, in the business world where, you know, you learn from your mistakes and failures, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I think you start to kind of go, wow, you know, no one's perfect, and you know, life's not perfect. It's quite freeing. But I mean, one of the, the books that I um, was recommended by one of my first recruitment managers, mm -hmm. and it's got, you know, it's terribly cheesy. And it's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by mm -hmm. Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie yeah. And it's 1936. 
And it's probably the number one on human relations. And it's just a very interesting book. They've kind of updated it as it goes, but it's a good one kind of on influencing. And really, you know, whether it's tech or other industries, you know, we, we deal with people. And, um, you know, there's some really good examples in there. Um, and I think one of them, you know, I think they go to a dinner party and, um, you know, I think Dale Carnegie's there and, and the guy's there and um, the birthday party, the party boy is, is talking about this quote and says it's Shakespeare or something and, and everyone kind of laughs. And, and then in the taxi on the way home, um, you know, the guy who was invited along says, hey, you know, that, that wasn't Shakespeare or... And um, I think Dale Carnegie says, oh, you know, but what would be the point in, 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 in saying that, you know, because he was having his moment mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you'd just come across as a, a bit of a dick, you know, mm-hmm. mentioning it. There was no, no reason to. And it, it kind of taught me early on as, you know, sometimes, you know, there's times you have to bite your tongue and other times, you know, you, you want to make a point. And, and it's kind of... The, the balance and you ride the line and, and no one's perfect but it just talks about really some of the nice things about building a relationship and I think another example is where some, one of the, the kind of people is trying to get some business from this um, potential customer and um, he's finding it very difficult and then I think he, he found out that what his, his interest was and and um, you know just started talking to him about what he enjoyed and what he liked and I think that's a really good thing to remember that you know, we're doing this job and work and maybe software development's our passion, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we love skiing or maybe biking mm-hmm. or, you know, golf or, you know, collecting stamps or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And just to remember that people, you know, are people and, and it's a really important to, to, you know, find out and talk about what's going on in their life and away from work. And, um, and you can really connect like that and you might have common interests and stuff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that was a, a book, and, and it's funny because I read it, you know, I got it in my first job, and my boss gave it to me, and then I read it, like, about three years ago, so something like 17 years later, and, you know, we've got a couple of young boys, four and seven, and honestly, that book is, like, it's how to influence, it's not just, uh, you know, not just work, it's your family, and, uh, you know, when you're, you're getting really tired, and, the, you know, the family's not getting much sleep, it's really important. So yeah. um, that's a good one. Um, but I'm going to have to plenty. go back. I, I have that on my shelf, but I can't remember the yeah. detail of it. Yeah, it's of a it. good so one. I'm going to have to go back and have a look. It's yeah. a really good one, and there's and, plenty of others. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- I think the Brene Brown one, one uh, the one I've read is Dare to Lead, which is oh, the latest fantastic. one, I think. Yeah. And I actually did a podcast summary of the book. So I might put the link to that in the show notes. It's about 10 minutes oh, nice. just summarizing yeah. the key points from what she had to say. And it's just really interesting to me. I don't know if you're noticing this as well, but there just seems in the last decade, maybe a little bit longer, there's kind of an openness to having these sorts of conversations about the, I guess, the softer qualities in a way, you know, that that it's okay, you know, vulnerability and shame, you know, like that it's okay to admit that you're not doing so well and and that that you need help. and, And it's like, if you've gone back 20, 30 years, I think most business books would have been much more about, you know, profits and we're make downsizing yes. decisions and it's all yeah, rational. Formal. And yeah, yeah it just feels I'm kind of encouraged by that because I think there is sort of this openness to these concepts and conversations, more holistic yeah. views of people looking at people beyond just the nine to five 
you know, the, the mental side, the, uh, you know, keeping yourself healthy, both physically and with mental health. It's yeah. It just seems to be opening up in terms of having those conversations. Yeah, very much so. I think it's becoming more real mm-hmm. and genuine and, um, you know, it's, it's been that kind of frontage, hasn't it? That kind of formality of, of business mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the hierarchies and the, the kind of, you know, um, kind of palaces of, of, and those hierarchies are, are, you know, are less now, you know, there's more flat structured organizations and, mm-hmm. and people doing, and I, I think COVID, you know, one of the positives of, of the work from home thing has been amazing how, you know, kind of people are being kind of let open, you know, or inviting you into their house, mm-hmm. you know, with, it's you know, true. an online meeting. And, and we recently got a puppy uh, just to add to the family, yep. which uh, I don't know. Do you have dogs? We just got a puppy too. <laughs> <laughs> Is you? your puppy through the biting stage with the oh, razor sharp teeth? <laughs> it does get better. I think she goes, yeah. We, oh, man. It's yeah, a challenge, our isn't it? I think now about eight months. So we're, we're finally through the razor sharp teeth biting oh. everything. But it's, yeah, it's a lot of. What kind did you get? Yeah, we got a little cocker spaniel. Oh, so, yeah, cute. Quite small. Yeah. Little, yeah, it's really nice. Oh, what a challenge. It's like having a baby again. Yeah, and, yeah. um, yeah, so I've been looking after the puppy, you know, kind of Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, it, it's been funny. I, I have worked from home quite some time since mm-hmm. we started Sunstone about seven years ago, but mostly for, for interviewing people overseas. But, of mm-hmm. course, now we um, interview people, you know, nationally. Mm-hmm. But also I'm seeing, you know, half the people I'm I'm kind of um, talking to are, are working from home anyway mm. in, in from Christchurch. So mm. so it's easy to schedule in a, a meeting um, because we're kind of at home. So, um, But it's funny, you know, it was uh, the other day I had to uh, – kind of put the dog out while I was interviewing and uh you know the guy was uh I was interviewing said oh yeah that's awesome I've got this Keeps poodle and he, he grabbed this massive poodle and <laughs> it was super cute po- a poodle called Pablo <laughs> and it was really neat and I'm like oh look here's our here's our little uh cavoodle yeah and it was really neat so there's a really nice connection I think um of, of being invited into you know each other's houses, mm. and really, I think there's those kind of structures and the the big kind of corporate um, kind of look, and and um, and I've had many stories about CEOs and and leaders having their dog on their their laps or their child, or yeah. And I think that's it, isn't it? Breaking down the barriers and and knowing that we're just all people trying yeah. to work together. The thing I find really fascinating, I don't know if you observed this, but when COVID happened, we all went home and we were online and things and. Yeah. And at the start, everybody got about maybe a weekend, two weeks in, I started to notice everyone's backgrounds were all changing. And it was like, oh, "Oh, you're in India. or Oh, you're the New York skylines behind you. And it was like this, yeah, look at me. I'm in this place. But then what I've noticed is that after about two or three months, people just didn't do that. And it was just like, I'm just at home. Yeah, and this is this, this is, is the background. This is <laughs> this is my kitchen, you know, or yeah. or whatever. And I think that's kind of nice because it was like I don't need to pretend that I'm in uh, you know a ski field somewhere. Yeah. Or it, it's actually you're seeing a bit of me. Yeah, because you're seeing the background here. Um, yeah, it's yeah, kind it's, of a, it's nice. A yeah, it's personable, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, no, it's really. And I think that's it's exactly that, isn't it? It's kind mm-hmm. of connecting. Um, with people and um, 
yeah it's it's really fun when you have that connection and, and you can do great stuff together mm, yeah definitely well paul it's been great to talk with you i really appreciate your time and what we'll do is in the show notes we'll put some links to things yeah great. so we'll put some links to sunstone and we'll put some links anything you want just send it over and we'll drop it in there um but yeah it's been really interesting hearing i guess because i know the homestead that you were talking about to hear the perspective yeah. of someone who grew up living there and then you know that it sounds like the influences of being there being involved in that um, had quite a big flow-on impact in terms of being curious about people and relationships and you know studying psychology but then not getting into it right away but coming back to it a bit later on Um, and I've really enjoyed hearing a bit about your approach to interviewing and, and talking with people so Um, Thank you for sharing with us, and um, I want to just say that it's been, yeah, really interesting to hear your life story. Yeah, thanks so much, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paul. If you did, then make sure to check out more information in the show notes. And there's heaps more content at theseeds.nz. Until next time. (music)